You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. We're together, so let's do that. Find a copy of God's Word. If you don't have one with you, find it in a chair or your own copy, hopefully. Always make it known if you don't have a copy of God's Word. We have plenty. We want you to have one for your own to read throughout the week. Hopefully this isn't the only time in the week you're opening up the Word. You're opening it up... uh, every day of the week to hear from the Lord. So we want to open up to Judges chapter 14 this morning. Judges 14. I'm going to read all 20 verses, read the account, and then we'll go back through it a little bit. So Judges 14. On your way there, we've got a picture from last week from Gemma. Right? This is from Gemma Herbranson. And she pictured this. There's others in the back, but thank you, Gemma, for this. We were looking at Manoah and his unnamed wife. We don't know what her name was, but... Manoah and the wife, and then that angel of the Lord that went up in the flame, and you caught it, Gemma. You caught what we were talking about there. And the the call to simply obey what God has revealed, obey what's before before us. So thank you for that, Gemma. And all kids, appreciate when you guys draw and um, turn them into me, hand them into me. If I'm talking to somebody, just slip it in my hand. Thanks for your names on them. I really appreciate that. So... All right, well, hopefully by this time you're in Judges 14. Let's read this account as we go into now Samson's life. He's grown up. We looked at his birth last week. Growing up and now into chapter 14. Here's God's Word. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came toward him, roaring. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Then he went down, talked with the woman, and she was right in Samson's eyes. After some days he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. He scraped it out into his hands and went on eating as he went. And he came to his father and mother and gave some to them, and they ate, but he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. His father went down to the woman, and Samson prepared a feast there, for so the young men used to do. As soon as the people saw him, they brought thirty companions to be with him. Samson said to them, Let me now put a riddle to you. If you can tell me what it is within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you thirty linen garments and thirty changes of clothes. But if you cannot tell me what it is, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. And they said to him, Put your your riddle that we may hear it. And he said to them, 
Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. And in three days, they could not solve the riddle. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us here to impoverish us? And Samson's wife wept over him and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. You have put a riddle to my people, and you have not told me what it is. And he said to her, Behold, I have not told my father nor my mother, and shall I tell you? She wept before him the seven days that their feast lasted, and on the seventh day he told her, because she pressed him hard. Then she told the riddle to her people. And the men of the city said to him on the seventh day, Before the sun went down, what is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than than a lion. And he said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon and struck down thirty men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who had told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house. And Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. Let's pray about this. Lord, we come to you and again ask for your presence with us, for it is your Spirit who brings to life, who, who tells us what you're speaking here in your Word. You reveal it to us, the natural things our natural minds cannot understand. We need spiritual minds to understand what's going on here. We thank you for your grace to reveal not only that to us, to reveal salvation to us, to reveal who you are, your glory, your majesty, your beauty. Lord, we just pray that you would work in this time that we have our Bibles open together to think on. Lord, for each heart, we come in with different, different needs, different things going on, and just pray that you would work in each of us what you would have to come away from this word, glorying in who you are in your name and your power and your sovereign hand over all things. Guide the preacher as we go through this, Lord, for clarity and for truth to be spoken from this pulpit. We pray for this. Lead us as a church in this today. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, there is something I love about going backstage. I don't know if you've ever gone backstage before, but I love the idea of getting to go backstage. Over the years, my brother's worked for a few various Christian artists, and so through my brother, I can get backstage access, and it's fun to get to go behind. You know, you've got the stage set up with the maybe at a concert and the lights and the curtains or big stage and the smoke at some places, but you get to go behind it, and what's all, and where's the tour bus, and seeing those sorts of things. And there's just a, there's a joy to do that. But in order to get backstage, to get behind the scenes, typically you've got to have a backstage pass. Maybe some people pay for those, you know, to get all-access pass. You want to get back and behind the scenes. And I just love to see the, the inner workings of things. Today, we've got a backstage pass, and it's actually sitting right in your lap. Your backstage pass to what God is doing is your Bible. It's the ultimate backstage pass because it shows us a wonder-working God. That's what we've got before us today. 
And the curtain, if you think of a curtain, it gets pulled back here just a bit as we're going to see. And we're going to see God's sovereign plan and His magnificent grace through this. In fact, this isn't the only place. I mean, the Bible's full of backstage passes. Maybe not everywhere we'd like. Not everything do we get, oh, that was behind that. But there are so much here in the Word that we get to see what God is doing. And we get enough to know through all Scripture, that God is behind everything. So we want to look at that. So let's head back to, to our stage today and what we see in this true account here. It's not a stage like a fake play. This is a true account. And yet also, what's behind this? What, what, how do we look behind it? So we've got a man named Samson. We read about his parents last week. He's all grown up, begins to be on his own. And on his own he is. Look at verse Uh, 1 and 2, verses 1 and 2 here. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Location-wise, as far as I can gather, Timnah is sort of on a a border town between Israel and the, the Philistines. Do you have the map back there that we can show? You've got it. There, this is, comes from the ESV Study Bible. But here is, so we're kind of, we've been usually up kind of in these reaches of Israel up in this area. We're now down, here's Jerusalem, so we're kind of west, maybe some say 20 miles, something like that. Eshtiel, Zora, somewhere in there is Manahadan. Here's Timnah, right on the border of Philistia, Philistine territory. So that's where Samson heads down to. And the down to is really elevation it's a higher elevation jerusalem and then it comes down towards the mediterranean sea so he went down to this down to timnah and we're going to see this actually quite a bit of going down coming up that sort of thing he literally goes down in elevation but what's really going down not elevation here it's samson he's consecrated to the lord as a nazarite and his consecration is going down here he begins to seek after one of the daughters of the inhabitants of the land this is not to be done it's prohibited now we find the prohibition in i'll just list them here exodus 34 deuteronomy 7 find this prohibition against marrying daughters of basically the enemies of israel now if you look there you're not going to find the name philistines the philistines there listed as being off limits but one commentary just kind of helps kind of lump in basically the philistines based on joshua 13 they're they're lumped in with the canaanites so i'm going to take that as philistines too are off limits don't go marry one of the philistine daughters further we see his parents as well because they've got a response and from them we learn yeah this is a no-no look at their response just in the first part of verse three his father and mother said to him Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go to take a wife from the the uncircumcised Philistines? Their objection, they're uncircumcised. Circumcision, sign of the covenant. That's the people of God. Philistines, uncircumcised. And so there's a threat. Threat to anyone really who would unequally yoke themselves to the uncircumcised, to not the people of God. So, 
Samson's decaying. And yet, according to the custom of the day, his father in particular, but he says to his father and mother, get her for me as a wife. And the, t- the decay really has begun in Samson's life. He's supposed to be separate, a Nazarite. We'll look at that in a little bit. But instead, he wants to join himself to a Philistine daughter. Something else really, though, is at the root of his decay. That's what we find in the second part of verse 3. I didn't read all of verse 3. Look at the second part of verse 3 because he's going to justify what he's doing here. Second part of verse 3 says, his reply, you know, his parents are like, bad idea, shouldn't go down this road. Is, is there not any one of your relatives that you, that you can marry? And Samson's reply, Samson said to his father, I mean, same tune, get her for me. Now you see it, for she is right in my eyes. Samson's appeal is based on Samson's eyes. We are not told here he sought the Lord's will. Lord, what would you have? Who would you have me marry? He's not sought the Lord's blessing. And when men and women determine what is best for themselves, we can call that human autonomy, self governance. I know what is best, what is right in my own eyes. My eyes determine what is right. And we're going to see that as we go through Judges. You're going to see it pop up again. This is almost like a, a shadow of further what's to come because the nation does just what is right in their eyes. Martin Lloyd-Jones describes this in a, in a philosoph- using a philosophical term of the humanism. Maybe you've heard of humanism before. He says it this way in humanism. Man is the center of the universe and there is nothing bigger and nothing greater. Man, ultimate man-centeredness is this is right in my eyes. This looks good to me. I will therefore do this. And that's what Samson appeals to. Nothing higher than his eyes can see. And what they see is a beautiful woman of Timnah, a Philistine. That's who he wants. I wonder if you can imagine his parents. What are, what are Manoah and, wife and his wife doing? And one of, the, I think one of the commentaries I read brought that out, just this, this idea of the parents thinking of their, their son. I mean, think of all of chapter 13. I mean, raise him, separate him, do all this with your son. You, I mean, even the mom, don't drink, don't do all this. for Your son is going to be a Nazarite. And just maybe the, the hopes that were built up. And then you've got this going on with the son. Going after this this girl from Timnah, and it's terrible. And it is, it is truly terrible. But at this moment, this is the moment where the curtain, we get that backstage pass. This is a cool, this is a neat, cool, neat, that has a terrible, those are even good descriptive words. Passage of what we see here in verse 4. So, Look at, look at verse 4 now in the Scripture as the backstage kind of comes into view for the reader. Now, verse 4. His mother, his father and mother, did not know that it was from the Lord. For he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled Israel. This is a, at, at one sense, this is a wonderful statement, and in another sense, it's, it can be really perplexing. Like, what's going on here? Samson's life is downhill. It looks like downhill. downhill. It is downhill, literally and figuratively, it's downhill. And yet, this is from the Lord? 
That's what the text says. Let's just be clear. Here's what the text is not saying. The text is not endorsing the lifestyle of Samson. If you want to follow the Lord, just go find anybody you want to marry. The Lord will probably work that out. That's not what the text is teaching here. Yet Samson, in most cases, he's not a model to emulate or, or to endorse as this is how a godly man lives. He's not a model for that. And his choices had to be and were ultimately disappointing to Manoah and his, his wife. And his choices, they should concern us who read about him. So the text, I don't think it's endorsing Samson's waywardness. Not saying that's godly, but here's what it is saying. The text does reveal, as this curtain is pulled back, it reveals the sovereign hand of God whose purposes and plans shall stand. He's going to accomplish all of His purpose. We see that in Isaiah 46.10. Even though it looks to the eyes, right from the eyes that are reading, it looks like what we can see, it looks terrible. Backstage, so to speak, God's sovereign hand is at work. And the text helps us see that. Just one little line right here. Think of other places. This is not new territory. Joseph is sold to his brothers. Or I'm not, he's not sold to his brothers. Sold to the Egyptians, right? By his brothers. That's pretty bad. That's pretty evil. And yet God worked through that. Scripture tells us at the end of Genesis, He worked through that evil to accomplish good in the saving of the nation of Israel. Through that bad thing, Joseph's brothers did. Rahab the prostitute housed the spies that led them into Jericho. Daniel got thrown into the lion's den, and yet through that, the king would praise Daniel's God. And ultimately, all this ultimately to Christ on the cross. The ultimate evil. The death of the Son of God. The killing of the Son of God on the cross. The greatest evil. And yet, what occurred through that day of darkness? Eternal life for everyone who would believe. This is, just, this is not abnormal in God's plan in His sovereign hand of how He does things. And we look at it and go, we just we don't understand it all, but we see it. What man intends for evil, God intends for good, even if we don't understand it all. Deuteronomy 29, helpful little verse. I think it's verse 29. It tells us the secret things belong to the Lord our God. And it talks about revealed things as well. There are secret things. We don't know. We're talking about Sunday school today. We don't know everything about what God does. There's secret things belonging to God alone. And yet He does reveal, and graciously, He reveals His sovereign working plan. And He will sovereignly work all things, every day, all days, for eternity. That means today as well. So on the stage is Samson and his decaying lifestyle. Backstage, God's sovereign hand. All right, let's take the next section. We're going to go a little bigger, bigger chunk here. Five, look at verses 5 through 9. Let me read them all to us again just to see it. Verse 5, Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came toward him roaring, then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. 
Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she was right in Samson's eyes. After some days, he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. He scraped it out into his hands and went on eating as he went. And he came to his father and mother and gave some to them, and they ate. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. Okay, back up. Let's back up before we get the sweet honey out of this rotting lion. Look at the defeat of this lion. A lion comes out roaring. Something could be said just off. Something could be said. They're near the vineyards of Timnah. Strong drink wine was off limits for them. I don't know why we're by vineyards. Maybe I don't know. But anyway, this young lion comes out roaring, and the young lion ends up dead. Question: What was it? Who was it that defeated the lion? Was it Samson's ripped muscles? Is that what did it? There's no mention of his muscles. I, maybe he, you know, strong guy. Maybe the pictures are right. That's just not mentioned here. Was it his cunningness? Maybe he's just so good with lions. Or his, he's just got awesome large hands. You know the answer to this. If you look in the text, verse 6 tells us, tells us he had nothing in his hand. And yet he tore the lion to pieces. How? By the Spirit of the Lord. That's how the lion was defeated. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and that's how Samson defeated the lion. Wouldn't it be great if we had the same Spirit? What if the Spirit of God dwelt in us? If we could resist who prowls around like a roaring lion? The devil. If we could resist him, glory be to God who gives us His Spirit to dwell with us. Praise the Lord for that. What a gift we have, a gift of grace to us. And we see here the Spirit defeating the lion. And, and yet, verse 7 then brings us back to the reality. Once again, Samson he is going to stay on this path. This is a path for him to stay with the daughter of the Philistines, desiring whatever his, fi- his eye finds here. Whatever was right, she, was, she continued to be right in his eyes. And so after some days, there's kind of some traveling back and forth. After some days, now Samson's coming down again to the marriage, and he sees this lion. And within the carcass now of the lion, he sees something sweet. He sees Honey, I know we have beekeepers here amongst us, and I'm pretty sure you don't get your honey from carcasses. That's not, you don't find deer <laughs> lying around the road. Let's put bees in there. Maybe that's a new way to do it, but it's not normal. And, but he finds the bees, finds the honey within this carcass. But what's a carcass? It's unclean. It's, it's off limits to Samson, who is a Nazarite. Let's look at this. We haven't gone back, but look back at Numbers chapter 6. This is where we kind of can get, a, get an idea of just what kind of um, vow and Nazarite. What does this mean that Samson's a Nazarite? What's this mean? I think the clearest is to come back to Numbers 6. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I do want to read um, yeah, just verses 1 through uh, 8 here of Numbers chapter 6. Just to give you, give you a f- 
an, an idea of the separation Samson was under. So just so you see where this kind of comes from. It says this here, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to, the Israel, uh, speak, to, speak to the people of Israel, say to them, When either a man or a woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite, to separate himself to the Lord. That's where we get that idea of separation. Verse 3, He shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. Check, we heard that from the angel last week. He shall drink no vinegar made from wine or strong drink and shall not drink any juice of grapes or eat grapes fresh or dried. All the days of his separation, he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine, not even the seeds or the skins. Verse 5, all the days of his vow of separation, no razor shall touch his head. Until the time is completed for which he separates himself to the Lord, he shall be holy. He shall let the locks of hair of his head grow long. Verse 6, all the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body, not even for his father or for his mother, for brother or sister. If they die, shall he make himself unclean because his separation to God is on his head. All the days of his separation, he is holy to the Lord. Back to Judges. That gives us some background of Samson the Nazarite. He was to be holy, but the honey would make him unclean. Touching this honey from the carcass, it's unclean, and that's probably thinking why he didn't tell his mom and dad either. He gave it to them, they ate, but he didn't tell them. He's a man of contradiction. He's hiding from his parents. He's eating from what is unclean, as sweet as the honey was. It's off limits for him. And yet, again, even in this lion and the honey, God is at work. He's orchestrating His plan through this. And He's going to work it because Samson's going to come up with a riddle based on what's just occurred here. So on stage again, we've got a roaring lion. Backstage, powerful lion. A powerful lion defeating God. And, and a God who makes sweet honey out of what is rotten and decaying. That's what God does. And so we come, probably the longest section here of verses 10 through 20. I'll try not to be long with this. But we come to this riddle that we've already, we've already read about, this riddle. Rather than reading through, just let me make a few notes, a few stops along the way as we have now come to Samson's wedding. So there's the initial call, Mom and Dad, I want this girl. It's of the Lord. Now we've got the, 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 the lion and the death by the Spirit and the honey, and now we get to the wedding and the feast, and that's what takes up the remainder of the chapter. It is a feast for this wedding, probably a seven-day feast. Probably, let's read between the lines, some wine, some strong drink. Again, off-limits to Samson. Do you think Samson was off-limits to the strong drink? Thinking probably not. Thinking Samson was just having a good time. And then we've got 30 companions that come along. They, they seem to be like, like a modern day wedding day, you know, wedding uh, attendants. I believe them to be, they're the men of, some men of Timnah, who maybe one commentary thinks they acted as kind of a security detail. You know, while everybody's celebrating, these 30 kind of stand guard. In case enemies come in, 
they're going to stand guard while, the, while everybody celebrates. That might be. Um, one other idea is, is possibly they were a bodyguard to protect, protect the city against uh, Samson. So they were actually there because they were a bit fearful of Samson himself. I'm not sure which way, but these are, these are attendants. These are 30 companions, and they seem to be the audience for the riddle. And that's what's coming up. So Samson... Maybe he's got some wine in him. I don't know, but he makes this wager. I'm going to tell you this, and here's the deal. He's got a wager for them. And this is what he's going to look at. He's got the riddle. If they can solve it, they've got seven days. If they can solve it, new clothes for them. If not, new clothes for him. Here's how Dale Davis puts it. I found this somewhat humorous and gives us kind of a a modern-day Rendition. He says, in Western parlance, the stakes would be 30 sets of underwear and 30 new suits. If the Philistines win, each of them can sport a new Easter outfit at the next Dagon festival. If the Philistines lose, Samson will own the swankiest wardrobe in the country. That's how Dale Davis puts it. That's the wager before them, if you can figure out this riddle. Let's look at the riddle in verse 14. Here it is. And he said to them, here's the riddle he puts before them, Samson, out of the eater came something to eat, out of the strong came something sweet. And in three days they could not solve the riddle. Now we, we as the reader, we know, we get the riddle pretty easily. We can solve it, but not these companions. And, and because they cannot solve it in the three days, it begins to fester conflict that God is going to use. And so these three days go by. No progress on the riddle. They can't solve it. I mean, we, three days seems like a long time. We're, we're pretty impatient after maybe 10 minutes. Somebody, you young kids, I bet you guys know some good riddles, right? You probably have some. You could just come up here and tell. We won't do that. But we, we, we hear a riddle and we want, you know, 10 minutes, that's about enough, and then tell me. This is three days long. They can't figure it out. And so getting nowhere, where do they go? They go to Samson's wife. They go to the woman. 30 of them, I believe, they get the riddle. They want to get it from her or or else. Here's a threat. Look at verse 15 where the threat is. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. This is serious. I mean, have you invited us here to impoverish us? It's not just, we'd love to know. We're having a great time at the party. Hey, tell us. It's, we're going to burn your house down if you don't figure this out for us. And that was motivating. That was motivating to her because under this pressure, she starts to then weep and press and pull to get the answer from Samson. And eventually... Though Samson could fight a lion, he could not withhold the daily pressing of his wife to say, what does this mean? And he finally tells her, by verse 17, he tells her the meaning. And in turn, I'm hoping to not get my house burned down or my father's house. She tells the men of the city, these 30 men, she tells them the meaning. meaning. They solve the riddle. Essentially, before the sun went down, you know, right at the last you know, moment, whatever, they, they solve it. 
And I think in some sense it had to be humiliating for Samson. I, I think it seems like he thought, I got something here. They are never going to get this. And they got it. And he's mad. And he's like, you're plowing my heifer. You sought out my wife. You yoked my wife to you. That's how you got away with this. He's angry. And yet again, through all this, even a riddle gone bad and Samson's weakness to tell his wife, what do we find? We find the Lord at work in verse 19. Look again. Now God, in His plan, verse 19, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, Samson, and he went down to Ashkelon, Philistines, by the way, went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who had told the riddle. And in hot anger, he went back to his father's house. He's burning with anger. He goes and does this, destroys 30 of them. I mean, how would you like to get clothing from a slaughter? I'm not sure how that worked, how fresh they were, but you can just kind of maybe think on that a little bit. But he's so angry, he doesn't even go back to his wife. He goes another way, to his father and mother's house. That's where he goes. And yet, the Spirit of the Lord is at work. He struck down these 30 men, a Philistine city of Ashkelon. Dale Davis says this. He says, Here now was the occasion Yahweh was seeking. Here is the climax of the story, for even Yahweh's secret is coming into the open. The text then is clear. What we are dealing with is not Samson's temper, but the Spirit's power. If this seems brutal, we must simply live with it. On the stage is a riddle. And on the stage is a pressuring wife to get to the meaning of the riddle. Backstage, it's the beginning of God's deliverance. In verse 20 then, we won't read, but it just sets up the conflict that we'll look at further next week in chapter 15. Sets up a greater Philistine defeat. Comes from his wife being given to essentially his best man. And we'll look at that next week. Just a couple closing thoughts as we look back on this longer passage here. Our God is a big, big God. And I want to use that word big and I want to make three observations from it. B, I, and G. Just for us to think back on this section a little bit. B, the B stands for Bible. If we were to comment on the story of Samson, if we didn't have the backstage information, God's planning this, the Spirit of the Lord, if we just looked at Samson, my guess is I think we would be one of the last ones to say, oh yeah, this is how God works. He does this through people like this. This is how he does things. I mean, Samson's he's got eyes only for a forbidden woman. He touches unclean things. He seems to drink when he shouldn't. And, and then instead of cleaving to his wife, you know, leave father and mother, cleave to his, his wife, even if it's Philistine, he instead goes back to their house and leaves her. The whole account, it's, it's complicated, maybe confusing from our perspective, but through God's Word, the Bible, again, we get this backstage pass to the sovereign hand of God. We don't get everything. There's secret things. But God's graciously 
revealed enough for us to realize nothing happens outside of His good and gracious hand. Do you want right perspective? Do you want God's perspective? Can I encourage you? Be in His Word. Be in the Bible where it tells us of this big God. And this week with different news coming and different things and whoever, who knows what this week holds or this day or personal tragedy or trial. Where do we go? What, how do we make sense? We come to the backstage pass and say, God, You are here and You are mighty and You are sovereign and we don't understand it all but we trust You. Come to the Bible. The second one our Sunday school class is going to be familiar with. Can you fill in the eye? He's incomprehensible. He's incomprehensible. He's beyond our comprehension. That's who God is. We cannot, <clears throat> we cannot know all of what God is doing. The psalmist says in Psalm 139, His knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's, it's high. I can't attain it. His sovereign an all-knowing plan, that plan of God, it's not up for my approval to say I like that plan. This is how it should go. It's, he's, God's not looking for my approval. His ways are not subject even to my understanding or my endorsement of them. He is God. And we must simply rejoice and say, Oh Lord, Your ways are higher than my ways. Praise the Lord. Glory be to the Lord. Accomplish Your will however You want. Whatever happens in our nation, in our church, in my family, in my work. We trust You for Your will because You're good. And we have eternity through Christ in You. Even though we don't understand everything. And then the last letter. So look in the Bible. He's incomprehensible. The last letter, G, is God's grace. God's Grace is at work in the midst of a wayward Samson and a wayward people to deliver them. They should not at this point be delivered. They've done evil time and time and time again. And yet he's a God of steadfast love and grace. Samson here, did, did Samson earn God's favor and earn a way to do this? No. God sovereignly chose Samson, as wayward as he, he is, and will be to be his instrument of salvation. We're not done with Samson yet. God's grace is poured out on people that do not deserve his love and his mercy. That's all of us. None of us are here because we figured this out and God just favored us because we looked like something special. We looked like sinners in darkness. And by His grace, He gives us what we don't deserve, salvation in Jesus Christ, that we may know Him as our Savior. It's grace. He saves us by grace alone. Faith alone, where? Not in me, not in you, not in anything but Christ alone. We know this big God. And He's a God whose ways we cannot fully search out. He's got plans and purposes. They are greater than we know, and yet they're secure, and yet they're hidden. May we trust Him by faith, trust Him all of our days, whatever today brings, and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. We have a God who is trustworthy. We don't get to see everything backstage. 
There's so much here to say, Lord, you're, you're over this. You, you, it is not, it's not even just, it's not a problem for him. His plan is perfect. It's going just, he's not worried today. Praise the Lord. Let's pray to him. Lord, thank you that you are such a mighty God that you have revealed these things to us who did not deserve a word of your grace for we have trampled on your law and on what you've told us by our sinful hearts. We're more like Samson than anything. We are Samson in a way that we've done whatever's right in our eyes and we continue to look at things and say, I I prefer this, it looks right to me. And we fail, Lord, to even honor you. And so we plead once again and we thank you for your grace and your mercy in our lives. Lord, would you lead us in the days and months, years ahead for whatever our country holds, our church, families and work, other things. May we trust you. You're the God at work. Your purposes will never fail. As we read this morning, your promises are yes in Christ. Promise of eternal life? Yes in Christ. Promise to know you? Yes. Promise to be forgiven? Yes in Christ. Thank you for your great promises. May we hold to your sovereign hand in the midst of a confusing world, life, and darkness. Help us to hold on to you. Thank you for your grace that you hold on to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.